Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding. I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We are continuing our look at the Gospel of Matthew. We're in the ninth chapter today, and we're actually <clears throat> going to look at the call of Matthew himself. Now, nowhere in Matthew's Gospel does he let us know that he's the one who writes this book. It's always, however, always, always, always been attributed to Matthew. Nobody's ever questioned it. Nobody's ever argued about it. So, um, it's it, this is his call. So he's he's giving us some history before he was actually part of the uh, apostolic group. So the first almost you know first eight full chapters and the first part of chapter nine um, tell us about things that happened before he was called. And so he he some of these things he probably heard secondhand. I doubt that he went to the country of the Gerasenes, um, but it's possible he did. I just don't know. At any rate. So today we're moving into the call of Matthew, and, it, and it's something that would have the potential to completely um, destroy the group. It has the potential right from the start to do that, and we're going to see that right away. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him, just like the other guys did. But there's a problem. I mean, and we've got to deal with it right now. Uh, we're going to have to deal with it in a second, but I want you to understand what who a tax collector was and, and what the idea was uh, behind it and, and how Jews thought about them. And then, then we'll move into the rest of the reading. So he's, he, there's a guy sitting at, at collecting taxes, and Jesus comes up and he invites him to follow him in the same way that he invited James and John and Peter and Andrew to follow him. Uh, and he responds exactly like they do. He leaves everything behind to come and follow Jesus. So here's the, the, the system of taxation in this time in the Roman Empire was that they would let it out for contract every few years. The highest bidder would, um, would then emerge, and, and they would pay that money to Rome. They, they would pay the, the entire—so you had to be pretty wealthy to even get into this because you had to pay it up front before you collected a dime. It was treated like a loan to the empire, and so you received interest at the end of the term of the loan. could be three years, though. So you're talking about having a significant outlay of cash on the front end in order to do this, uh, to be a publican. So, so it was not for common people. To, from the beginning. But here's a, a little glimpse of the system itself. And this is from a guy named William Barclay, um, who was in the last century, and he wrote a lot of popular commentaries, wrote popular commentaries on the entire New Testament. In fact, don't care for him. Uh, he was a universalist, and he also didn't believe in miracles. So, for instance, when Jesus is walking on the water, Barclay's thing is he walked near the water. When Jesus uh, fed the 5,000, they saw his example and uh, realized there wasn't going to be enough for everybody, and so they all had food with them anyway, and so they just shared it with one another. So that's the way he explains those things. However, when he's talking about this history, it's not a big deal. He says there was a purchase tax on all that was bought and sold, so sales tax. 
It was a bridge money to be paid when a bridge was crossed. So you got a toll bridge. Uh, road money to be paid when main roads were used. So they were all toll roads. Harbor dues to be paid when a harbor was entered. Market money to be paid when a market was used. Town dues to pay when the traveler entered a walled town because they received protection would be the reason you would. There would be two reasons to enter a walled town. One is you'd be safer there. And second, the market. Um, would be there. If a man was traveling on a road, he might have to pay a tax for using the road, a tax on his cart, a tax on its wheels, a tax on its axle, and on the beast which drew the cart. There was a tax on crossing rivers, on ships, on the use of harbor keys, on dams. There were certain licenses which had to be paid for engaging in certain trades. And so nearly everything you did could be taxed. Um, And so you can imagine if, if you had to pay all those, how much you might despise the person collecting the taxes. I mean, nobody loves the IRS. Um, certainly, uh, anybody who got excited about 87,000 new IRS agents is, is a sick puppy to start with. Um, <laughs> that's a joke. Um, but but <laughs> the reality is that nobody likes the tax guy. So they were so distrusted, they couldn't testify in a Jewish court. Banks didn't want to do business with them, and even charitable gifts were generally refused. They actually... The, the Jews believed it was okay to uh, to lie to tax collectors. That's how much it was because th- that was recognizing somebody as, as king over them when they already had a king. And so that's the reason when they, they asked the question, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? When Jesus holds up the coin and says, whose image is on it? He said, then give him what belongs to him. <clears throat> so it was, it was controversial whether Jews should even pay these taxes or not. They didn't have much choice. But, but the, th- the people they really hated weren't just the publicani, not just the tax collectors, but the Jews who were tax collectors. They really despised those people. It was, it was sort of like Vic- Victor Frankl, <coughs> who wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning that I highly recommend. Frankl is F-R-A-N-K-L, and the title is Man's Search for Meaning. It was born out of his experience in a Nazi concentration camp, the book was. And, and his conclusion was is that um, I'm, I'm not. This is a spoiler, I guess. Uh, his conclusion was is that that people could live with almost any what as long as they had a why. So as long as there was a why for their being, um, and and the the worst thing he said were those people who would who would get the idea that okay, it's gonna by Christmas it'll be it'll be better. I mean, Christmas being relative term, but um, by by this time it'll be better. By this time it'll be over. By this time it'll be over. And they were constantly being disappointed in that idea. And he says people who had a reason for living were more apt to be able to struggle through and make it than others. But the other thing that he said was the most despised people in the concentration camp, and this is an analogy for the way that the Jews would have felt about the tax collectors in the time of Jesus, the most hated people in in Nazi concentration camps were the Jews who had collaborated with the Nazis by by spying and telling on others and all that kind of stuff and, and then they were they were given better rations they were given better jobs they were treated better although they were despised by the Nazis too but they were uh, seen as um, useful by them but they despised them even the Nazis despised them because they knew what kind of people they were by turning on their own people. And that's exactly the way that Jews saw the tax collectors in the time of Jesus. I mean, it's so it's an amazing thing for Jesus to come in and choose Matthew from receipt of custom here. And it's and everything that Jesus did defied easy characterization 
right? So what I mean by that is, is that, that so he begins his ministry by going out to John and preaching some of the same message as John, and and he begins this out there in the wilderness. And so there would have been um, a gr- that group of people called the Essenes that we've talked about. They would have been there in the wilderness, and and they they would have seen some of the early things Jesus did and some of his teaching as very compatible with what they believed. We see even a scribe has come to Jesus at this juncture and offered himself as a disciple to Jesus. Um, we, we don't see too much yet as far as opposition is concerned. And so things are moving along pretty smoothly here, um, with, with the exception of the opposition of the people over in the country of the Gadarenes, over in the Decapolis, who wanted him to leave after he um, it, it, um, delivered the demon-possessed men. Um, it, that's the only opposition so far that we've seen. There's a little bit in the healing of the paralytic uh, with the scribes who questioned among themselves, who does he think he is that he can forgive sins? And so Jesus is challenging things all along. And so so here, people who would have thought they were on his side, um, for instance, Judas, who was one of the zealots, who was kind of like an Essene, except for they wanted to violently bring in, <laughs> the, they wanted to overthrow Rome and bring in the Messianic age. So the, the, they were, the Essenes were way more passive than that. Um, that, so uh, the people who would seem to be natural allies at this juncture um, are going to be greatly challenged by the fact that he's calling Matthew. This is a despised class, and there's not a single group of people in Judaism, not the Pharisees, not the scribes, not the Sadducees, not the Essenes, not the Zealots, not the just run-of-the-mill Jewish people in the land at that time that could stand these tax collectors. And you see that in the reaction when he calls, um, when he says, I got to go to your house, Zacchaeus. People are really upset, even though the upshot of that will be that, that now they have an honest tax collector and, and everybody's life will be better because Zacchaeus, because Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house. But here he calls Matthew, and, and in that is the, the potential to blow up the whole project as it goes along. But also, now it's going to be looked at with a skeptical eye by every single group of people, including the Romans. Like I said, they didn't have much respect for him either. They, they were seen as, as just these people who were uh, complicit in a scheme that they didn't enjoy themselves very much because they had to pay taxes too. These Romans did. So we've got now... He, he has called this tax collector to himself. And you can imagine the discussion among the disciples and among those who were you know, sort of on the periphery of that and the ripple effect as it went further and further away from the center of that. And so what happens next, right? So he calls Matthew, Matthew follows him. And then as Jesus reclined at table in the house, what house? It's Matthew's house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. So anybody could come, right? So if you had an important personage in your house, one of the things you did was you made it available for other people to kind of, you know, not not eavesdrop because that implies that they're um, something surreptitious or wrong. No, you were actually invited to come and, and kind of hang around the outside of everything and listen to the conversation. Because it enhanced the reputation of the person who was hosting. But here, Matthew doesn't just let these people come and kind of hang around the outside. They're reclining at the table. So he threw a banquet 
And so, I mean, just just imagine this now. You've seen the picture, the the painting of the Last Supper. Now imagine that that whole scene extended, and a bunch of tax collectors and quote sinners. Sinners are people whose whose sins were notorious; they were well known in the community. And so it, it, they're sitting around the table with these people. Most of them didn't want anything to do with these people. There, there's multiple reasons for that, not just the fact that they're tax collectors. They were also considered to be unclean generally because they, they frequently had contact with Gentiles. In fact, they were more or less, you know, in, in a metaphorical way, they were in bed with the Gentiles. And so they were tainted by that. And so here now are Jesus and the disciples eating at table, reclining at table with these tax collectors and sinners. On any other occasion prior to this, these guys wouldn't have had a thing in the world to do with these guys. They wouldn't have had anything to do with the people around the table with them now. And and you can bet that they're thinking, what in the world is going on here? Did we make a gigantic mistake in, in hitching our wagons to him? What in the world are we doing here of all places? I mean, this is in some some ways almost worse than the situation Peter finds himself in in Acts 10 when he's at the house of Cornelius. I mean, this is really not a good thing. It's 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 degrading to be sitting here with these people, and yet Jesus is here, and so the Pharisees saw it. And it's because they're not at the table. The Pharisees are not. So the, so the religious establishment, the religious elite, are not at the table here. It's, it's these people that, that they look down upon in, in horrible ways. So they come, and they ask the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And, and I'm sure the disciples are sitting there going, that's a really good question. I'd like to know the answer to that, too. I'd like to know why I'm sitting here at this table with these people breaking bread together. It's a really good question, and, and not a single one of them would have had an answer for it. So Jesus jumps in. <laughs> when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus is, is very clear here on his mission, and what's his mission? it's as a physician to those who are sick. So, and I'm feeling okay, by the way. I don't know why my voice is the way it is. Um, But Jesus's mission is to these people. Um, it's, It's to sinners, not the righteous. But he's already said, remember, that your righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And so when he says that, he says they're not really righteous. They're only comparatively righteous. And that's the way they look at Noah, for instance, as they say that he was a righteous man in his generation. And so they look and say, well, okay, then he's not all that righteous. Um, He was just righteous compared to the scum (laughs) who were with him at that time. So here, when Jesus says this, he's quoting from Hosea. That's where it comes from. Um, and, and the the reason was is that that, that, that I deserve mercy more than sacrifice um, is to say that you're give, when Hosea in Hosea's time, it was a time of great prosperity. And so they were bringing sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. God says he's wearied with their sacrifices. And yet at the same time, they're not living righteous lives. They're doing religious things. 
and they're doing them for the sake of religion. They're doing them essentially as bribery to get God to do what they want him to do and let the good times roll, baby. That's exactly why they're doing it. And so here, when Jesus says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, and what he could have said, and what we would say today is, is that what he's actually saying there is, is that I have, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who know that they are sick. You know, you think you're well, because it goes into uh, what Jesus says in uh, the book of the Revelation there when he, he says, you think that you are these things, you think you're, you know, you're wealthy and all that kind of stuff, but, but I see you as you really are, and, and it's sad. The picture of what's really true is a sad picture, and I think that's the, the way that to look at this is, is that, that that's exactly what Jesus is saying to them. They're not recognizing that they're sick, but he is not directly uh, coming at them just yet. It's not time for that direct assault to say, yep, you think you're well, but you're not. You think you're righteous, but you're not. And so where he calls them out is to say, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Go, go learn what that means. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And and what he what he's saying there is is that, that if you'll go find out what this means, if you'll understand what it means to desire mercy and not sacrifice, what you'll see is is that you're not righteous at all. This is a point where you're still failing. You're not showing mercy to people. You're you're doing all the religious stuff, but you're not loving your neighbor. And so when he calls Matthew, as I said, this, this has the potential to completely destroy this entire mission right at the outset. And, and the question here asked by the Pharisees was probably also in the minds of the disciples at the time. And, and, and so the principle for us is we got to allow Jesus to do what he does. And sometimes he'll call into our midst people who don't look like us, who don't smell like us, who don't sound like us. And so are we willing to, to accept the, the broad panoply and variety of God's creation with the idea that these people are all created in God's image. And, and I need to make room at the table and in my heart for these brothers and sisters God's bringing among us today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.